You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Greetings, everybody. I am here once again. Uh, this is Mission Lab, and I'm still at our camp meeting, which is, as uh, we explained last week, is a time when a bunch of us Seventh-day Adventists get together in Freeport, Maine, and we spend time in fellowship and, and meetings, and people come and, and share uh, their heart for the gospel. And as I often do when I'm uh, traveling, as I try to pull people into interview. And so I'm excited to have a friend of mine who also is uh, served as a mentor of mine and, and uh, is um, works in the, what would we call it, the governing body that oversees our regional territory um, here in northern New England. And his name is Elder Ted Huskins. And his technical title is Executive Secretary. Is that the right one, Ted? Executive Secretary? That's correct, Sean, yes. And so he is the Executive Secretary of the Northern New England Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, Ted, how long have you been in this position now? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Wow, time flies. At least it feels like it's flown to me. But yeah, so he's been here for four and a half years. And if you didn't already detect... Ted has a really, really, really thick Maine accent. No, I'm just kidding. Ted, where are you from originally? Give a little background maybe. Yeah, I'm originally from North Carolina, specifically from Asheville, North Carolina, which um, we call the Paris of the South. It's, a, <laughs> it's the cultural and artistic center of, of North Carolina and, and the southern region of the U.S. Ah, I see. So you've been here for four and a half years uh, just culturally. Maine is a little different than North Carolina, is it? Sean, it really felt like a different country to me in a lot of ways when I moved up here. Um, You know, it it has been a tremendous adventure. But, you know, it's not only the accent that is different, but um, culturally, uh, the two regions are very dissimilar. Mm. Um, And so I've, you know... I've, I've had fun navigating the, the differences between the two, two cultures. I remember um, someone told me, I think the first few months I was here, that their car was stove up, and I had no earthly idea what they were talking about. I had to get that one translated. I don't know what that one is either, so you're going to have to translate it for me. Well, as I have learned, that means your car has broken down if it oh. is stove up. Hmm. Um, but anyway, I maybe that's not a... Not across Maine. Maybe that's, you know, one one sector of Maine. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I'm from away as well, as they say here in Maine. You know, technically, um, I was born in Massachusetts, so maybe I'm just not familiar with that lingo as well. But, yeah, there's definitely lots of, of differences. So just briefly before we launch in more to the topic at hand, um, for those who are listening who may not be Seventh-day Adventists, what does it mean that you are the executive secretary of this Northern New England Conference? What are your responsibilities and what does that entail? Some people think I do, you know, dictation and... and uh, um, 
and that I'm a really good typist, and, and <laughs> neither of those is true. Executive secretary, you know, really in, in our society, those terms are most frequently used uh, in government. You know, if you're the secretary of state, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Hillary Clinton was a few years ago, that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, a similar terminology. Secretary is is a role in our sphere that um, is similar to a vice president mm-hmm. um, for for the um, for the denomination. Mm-hmm. And so, specifically, I'm in charge of uh, details, policy, minutes, and meetings. Um, I'm also wear the hat of uh, stewardship and evangelism director. All right. Cool. Stewardship and evangelism director. And that's kind of what we're going to get into, especially the latter one you talked about. Uh, You have a heart for evangelism. You have a heart to bring the gospel to people. Um, you've planted churches when you were uh, pastoring in the South. Um, not only did you probably notice that things were different culturally, but just religiously when you came from North Carolina to Maine or wherever you were before you came here. Um, talk about some of maybe the similarities, differences that were noticeable to you. The, the religious similarities and differences? Um, well, of course, some of the similarities are, you know, when you, we're all Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and so there is, you know, a certain level of, of consistency of belief and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, whether you're in North Carolina or Maine or even in, you know, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. if you find an Adventist group there, you're going to find a similar set of, of beliefs. Um, some of the differences, however, are are more you know, affecting the wider culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, North Carolina is in the heart of the Bible Belt, and um, church is just a very mar- very big part of, of most native North Carolinians' lives. You know, um, when you move to a, a new town in North Carolina, the first thing you're looking for is a church. You know, what church am I going mm-hmm. uh, be a, join and be a part of? Um, I've, I've realized that that's not the case here in Maine. Um, in fact, that was one of the things that really drew me to Maine is the fact that 60% of, you know, our population is post-Christian and really don't have a, a Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not like you just put up a sign and people are just going just gonna to walk, walk in your doors. Um, and... Uh, as the man who technically oversees the statistics for the conference with membership and so forth, as far as Adventism goes, for those who don't know, by the way, um, the the Seventh-day Adventist Church began, I don't know if we've ever even mentioned this on our podcast, began right here in this territory. Uh, New Hampshire, Maine, our founders were from Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine. Um, and so one would conclude that this is thriving, like, you know, this is where, where the work would be the, the biggest. But uh, how is our, you know, health and growth and, you know, membership here in, in this conference? Well, that's really interesting um, that you would mention that, Sean. Um, and, and this not only affects the Seventh-day Adventist Church, mm-hmm. this is pretty widespread across all denominations in, in New England. 
Um, there's a book called The Death of White Christian America, hmm. which I read prior to coming here. Hmm. And um, Christianity in general is dying in New England. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I recommend the book if you, if you want to, you know, just a good, you know, treatise on why that's the case. Hmm. Um, but, you know, in the South, uh, for example, the, the town that I came from, Asheville, um, those of us who are from there, we consider it a pretty um, open-minded town. Yeah. It's not unusual to see a man wearing a wedding dress and riding a tricycle down the street in Asheville. Yeah. Um, it's a very open-minded, progressive, uh, progressive sort, of, sort of town. Um, but Asheville is 20% post-Christian. <laughs> yeah. And you compare that to Portland, Maine, which is the most post-Christian city in America at 60%. Mm-hmm. And there's just a huge difference. Um, and as I said, in the South, the church is very much a part of the majority of people's lives. Even if they don't attend that often, they still have a home church and they still go occasionally. Um, here in New England, you know, I have met people who they've never been to church. Their parents never went to church. And maybe their grandparents went as children. And so from that aspect, it's just very different. Do you think that our, generally speaking, I know we we don't want to be, um, we don't want to paint with a broad brush, but do you think that by and large Seventh-day Adventists in this territory have fully grasped the reality of how challenging things are here religiously and what we might need to do to address that? I really don't think so. Um, you know, every, every, every one of us as individuals kind of become myopic and we, we live in our own world and our own existence and, and we, we get, you know, consumed by the routine of our own day-to-day lives and our own world and we rarely look outside of ourselves to empathize with another person's position or how they think, feel, or, you know, what's going on in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, do, I don't want to be too critical of our denomination. But I think that m- most Seventh-day Adventists are really unaware that not only that we live in a post-Christian world, but also that our society is increasingly postmodern, which is just a whole different philosophical way of viewing the world that, um, you know, if you, if you are, are living as a modernist, it's, it's really difficult for you to understand postmoderns. Yeah. By the way, I will... Um encourage you with the thought that we had, and this is one of our most listened to episodes, which is not surprising, but we had Ty Gibson on, and he was very eager to present a very sobering view on where we are as an Adventist church. So, you know, you don't have to do that. He's already paved the way, and it was very, very acute call to, to rethink how we approach, you know, church and mission and so forth. Um, so, so you pretty quickly, uh, I mean, even before you came, you had a good grasp that, that things were, um, not necessarily optimal health here as far as not just Adventism, but Christianity. Um, so what were some of the things that you started processing? Because, you know, not only are you the executive secretary, you are the evangelism director, um, what, how, how did you start processing what we might do to uh, move forward with the commission we've been given and making disciples and so forth? 
Yeah, let me start by saying I, I misspoke a little bit. I'm the church planting director. I was the evangelism director. Scott Christensen is now the evangelism director for our I'm conference. I'm sure Scott doesn't listen, so it won't... <laughs> it won't bother him. It won't bother him. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. What, so what did you do to start think, you know, thinking outside the box? And, and yeah. Well, with my background, my background, one of the things that I was focused on significantly as a pastor was church planting. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I have a, a friend who said it's easier to to give birth than raise the dead. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, existing churches um, become inwardly focused and they are concerned about meeting their own needs mm-hmm. um, and and not and don't have much of a missional focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I read a statistic recently that ninety percent of clergy feel that the mission of the church is to share with people. Mm-hmm. And 90% of, of parishioners believe the mission of the church is to take care of their family. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is a common common challenge across denominational lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I think that church planting is valuable. It kind of short circuits that. And um, the team that is leading that church plan and even the members as they are coming together to form it um, have more of a, a desire to share mm-hmm. and 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 help other people with their needs rather than focus on their own. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, and we'll unpack that a little bit more moving forward. Um, but you also w- went on a trip to uh, was it the Netherlands? As you because because you realized you planted churches, but you realized that things would have to be a little different this, you know, century or decade. And so tell me about that. Yeah, the last time I planted a church was over 10 years ago, and it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of the, the the style of planting and in that region in that time was, was kind of cool church. Mm-hmm. You put together a really, really awesome program, and you say, y'all come, <laughs> and people come. Yeah. Um, that That... I quickly realized that that was not going to work in New England. Mm -hmm. And so I began to look at other post-Christian areas of the globe. And the most post-Christian region is Western Europe. Um, And if you you take um, out the immigrants from the islands in Africa Mm -hmm. who have brought Christianity with them to Western Europe, if you you set them aside, um, well over 90% of the indigenous population of Western Europe is post-Christian. So we went to the Netherlands and um, visited about five different church plants there to find out what they were doing. And their director of church planting uh, told me that the church amongst indigenous people would have died completely had they not done church planting. And um, so in visiting these, these groups, it was just really inspiring to my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Um, they were m- missional communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Sean, I know you're passionate about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one group in particular that we went to and, and all around the circle, you know, it was 20 and maybe early 30-somethings. Mm-hmm. And um, as they shared their faith journey, you know, all of them, almost all of them started as either agnostic or atheist mm-hmm. or, or were either really damaged uh, by church as children. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, through, this, through this 
spiritual discovery group, missional community, um, they had encountered the real Jesus Mm -hmm. and real life change for their life. And hearing them share that was just so inspirational, Mm -hmm. uh, heart-touching for me that um, I realized that we needed to to do something similar here in New England. Yeah, and you you verbalized to me the other day as we were just chatting about some of the things we're uh, trying to do in Bangor that um, unless we do things differently than the way we've been doing them, uh, we're in danger of similar to Europe. Um, I don't know if I ever told you, Ted, but I spent a year in Scotland as a student missionary. And of a country of 5 million, there are literally... 275 Seventh-day Adventists. And, you know, half of them are, like you say, immigrants. And we praise God for the immigrants, but the indigenous second-generation native-born population is just shrinking. Um, So, uh, yeah, unless we do things differently, we're just going to have the same results, right? Right. (laughs) And so desperate times call from desperate measures. Is that a little extreme? I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't really think it's desperate measures. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. You know, if you if you read the book of Acts, I think that you very quickly find a missional model. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, if you look at, at any denomination or any church, there's kind of a life cycle to that church. Mm-hmm. And um, um, our denomination is simply, you know, entered a phase of of. Uh, you know, kind of being lukewarm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. Mm-hmm. And um, so we need to recapture that missional view of, of what Christianity is and is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exciting to do that. That's, you know, we're really kind of going back to the future that's right. to, to capture what Christianity was initially meant to be when Jesus started the church. Mm-hmm. And even back to the future of early Seventh-day Adventism, in many ways, you know, they didn't have settled pastors. They were very missional in their thinking. They had small, what they called social groups. They had, um, yeah, just all sorts of innovation. You know, as I've heard, again, Ty Gibson say, uh, our evangelistic methods that we typically employ are very innovative for 1950. (laughs) And we just, you know, even... You know, our own prophet was very, very adamant in saying we need to come up with new methods, new methods, new methods. But like you say, they're not really even new. They're just going back to what what the early church started as. Right. Yeah. And so you've you've started uh, along, you know, the conference has started this church planting initiative. Just kind of give us uh, an overview of what that is all about, what that's looking like, how that's going, uh, some of the specifics of what, what you're trying to do. Well, we, um, we realized that we, we needed to plant churches, and we felt like the group of people who would be most open to uh, the good news mm-hmm. and um, the message of Christianity would be young people, mm-hmm. um, people who are just starting their families, single people. Um, and so really there's kind of a window that any... Um, you know, missionary reaches people Mm -hmm. and it's 10 years either side of their age. So if you're trying to reach the average 30 something person, you need, you know, you need church planters that are also about that same age. We, we typically tend to socialize with and have an affinity for people who are our age. 
Um, and there's a 10-year window on either side of your age of effectiveness uh, in forming friendships. So we realized we needed young people to do that. And as we began to look at our, our membership of young people in our churches, we have a, we have a good number of, of young adults. But uh, the majority of our congregation is, you know, probably over 60 mm-hmm. of our churches. Mm-hmm. And so to pull out uh, the smaller number of young adults out of those congregations would make those congregations even less relevant to young people who came to visit. And so we really didn't want to rob, so to speak, mm-hmm. our existing churches of their, of their, you know, young members, many of whom are, are the children of people who attend there as well. So there's some family connections. Um, so we recognized that we needed missionaries to come in from outside our territory to form the nucleus for most of these church plants. Um, and, and that's been a difficult challenge to get people to relocate. Um, we have partnered with a couple of different organizations. You mentioned Ty Gibson. His organization is one of the one such that we have partnered with, and they are recommending us to all of their students and, and other people. So we're, we're trying to form teams of three to six young adults who will enter a targeted area. And, and here's how we targeted the areas, Sean, and this was Scott Christensen's idea, and it's just brilliant. Um, we didn't have the money to do a real demographic study. So what we did is we um, looked at population centers from around World War I, 100 years ago, and then we used Walmart data to find out where the population centers are today. Mm-hmm. We found out that a significant number of our existing churches are where the population centers were in World War I, <laughs> but no longer where they are today, mm-hmm. which was very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. So then we said, okay, where are the Walmarts and Walmart super centers? And we found 21 sites where there is, is not a significant congregation within 20 miles of that Walmart. Mm. And so those are the 21 sites that we have identified that we want to recruit missionaries to come and, and form these teams. And, you know, we're going to um, coach the teams. We're going to train the teams. We're going to resource them with some, you know, cost of living ad- adjustment to help them, um, you know, move here and that kind of thing. But basically, we're looking for people who, who have a day job and want to do this as a self-supporting missionary and really make a difference, you know, in sharing the good news of, of what Christianity offers with a world that is, has kind of found it to be irrelevant. Yeah. And, and the, the idea is that these churches would start mostly and maybe continue as, again, these smaller groups, not necessarily thinking big structure, big buildings, you know, big programming, but out of homes and so forth. That's what you're, what you've settled on. That's correct. Yeah. We want, we want them to, um, become, um, you know, a a fully mature church plant is one that is sending out missionaries Mm -hmm. to plant in other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they may do something similar to what your church, you know, has, uh, is considering doing, and that's it's coming together mm-hmm. to worship on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. but still having small groups or missional communities that meet yeah. more regularly. And the challenging thought for some people is that this 
doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> so we typically like to see results quickly, right? And generally, Adventism, you know, we have this message of, of uh, you know, Jesus soon return, which is important. So we think everything needs to happen tomorrow because Jesus could come tomorrow. And so we don't have patience. So how do we, you know, how, how might we navigate that? And how do you respond to people who, who are maybe tugging at your sleeve and saying, hey, Ted, where are all these baptisms, you know? Well, it is a different model. You know, in the 1950s, you could um, hold a revival meeting and... You know, depending on the size of the city, a couple hundred people would show up. And on a scale of one to ten, with ten being a committed Christian and one being um, a committed atheist, most people in America were a seven or an eight. Mm -hmm. And um, those who didn't go to church, you know, could come to a revival meeting and be inspired Mm -hmm. to rededicate their life to Christianity and to Christ. And, And you could effectively do that in one night or in three weeks of meetings. Nowadays, most people, particularly here in northern New England, are twos and threes. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's a much slower approach. We feel like this is easily a decadal project. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, the growth that people have in many cases is going to be very small. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people... You know, their hurdle is going to be able to to, to accept creationism mm-hmm. um, as opposed to evolution mm-hmm. of, of humanity. And that's, that's going to be a big hurdle, and they're going to have to really, you know, weigh that and, and determine which philosophy they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a slower process, and baptisms are not going to be uh, frequent. We're more concerned about growing people Mm -hmm. than baptizing people. Mm. And so if we're moving people towards Christ and towards an understanding of a Christian worldview incrementally, that's, that's wonderful and that's awesome. That's what we're excited about. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you put that. We're more interested in growing people than baptisms. Um, I've already told this to our listeners before, but I don't think I've shared with you, but the Bangor Seventh-day Adventist Church was started in 1929 after an evangelistic series in Bangor. The conference, there was a pastor who was begging the conference, send me to Bangor. They'd been sending literature there. We need to do a, uh, a reaping campaign. And finally, the conference let the, the evangelists go up. And on the first night, it was a, I think it was like February of 1929, there was 800 people that showed up. If you think that's impressive, the second night there was 1,100 people. I read this in the Atlantic Union Gleaner. And, I mean, that is just staggering. And I like to tell people that if you were to try to replicate that now, you would probably literally need 50 years of meetings once a year to get that number of people coming to a series of meetings, you know, today in in our context. So, um, yeah, it's it's a different world. And I would argue as well is that even – when we did have numeric success before, a lot of times we weren't necessarily making disciples. We were, we were making consumers, right? And so this, I think, missional discipleship approach grounds people uh, to a greater degree. And slow is the new fast, as some people have said. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So if somebody 
listening wanted to uh, get in touch with you and say, man, this sounds like an exciting opportunity, how might they do so? Well, you can either call me or email me. And I don't know whether you want me to, you know. You can put your email address, yeah. Yeah, it's um, thuskins at nnec.org. That's T-H-U-S-K-I-N-S at nnec.org. Awesome. Very awesome. It seems like I had another question, but it slipped my mind, and so that maybe we'll do it for today. Uh, anything else to add, though, before I, I, I wind down? You know, as human beings, we, um, we're not uncomfortable. As Christians, we're not uncomfortable with change in most areas of our life. In 19, you mentioned 1950, my grandmother had a Hudson Terraplane. It's a beautiful car. I don't even know what that is. It weighed about 3,500 pounds and got 11 miles to the gallon. <laughs> um, you know, manual steering, manual brakes. Um, beautiful car, but not really practical in our context mm-hmm. and in our world. Um, maybe there are people who would love to have one as something that you would drive on a weekend, you know, or take to a car show. But it, you really wouldn't want to drive it day in and day out. Um, and we understand that. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. We sometimes get a little uncomfortable with our church changing, mm-hmm. even if it, we're making it more user-friendly for the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't need to, you know. Um, God is with us. He's good. And we need to just be prayerful and follow him where he leads us. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, it reminds me of how we were chatting the other day, and I I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but just the recognition that many of us don't really know the core of Christianity or Adventism. We think it's about all these peripheral things. And so when those things change, we think, oh boy, you know, my faith is being unsettled. That's because we've elevated all these issues to be on the same moral plane. And so when somebody takes those away, it's like, oh my goodness, next thing you know, they're going to be like throwing out the Sabbath or, you know, and that's just not the reality of it. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, Ted. Well, thank you so much for taking a few moments here. And again, T Huskins, H-U-S-K-I-N-S at org. if you have any interest in this. Uh, Keep us in prayer and um, Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. We'll catch up with you next week. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.